Okay, Rupert, David Letterman hasn't been on CBS for years, yet his merchandise is still killing it. The only place that you can get official Letterman, Late Show with David Letterman merchandise is right here at the Hello Deli. How do people get this merchandise other than coming in here? Obviously, you want to come in here. If you're in New York, right. come to the Ed Sullivan Theater, come to uh, the Hello Deli, get yourself a Paul Schaefer sandwich uh, or something else, and then buy some merchandise. If people can't make it to New York, what's the best way to get some of this merchandise. Well, they can get on my website, um, hello-deli.com, yep. and order it there. Now, do you pack that yourself? Do you pack it, uh, this merchandise, and send it off to people yourself? I, I do. Okay, yep. if um, if people ask you to add onions to the order, will you add onions to the order? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, the Hello Deli is the sponsor of the Letterman Podcast. We are so grateful for that, Rupert. We're so grateful for you. And my pleasure. on a personal note, thank you for the years and years and years of entertainment that you have brought not just America, Thank I'm Canadian, you. but brought the world. Thank you very, very much. My pleasure. Thank you for watching. Absolutely. La, 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 la. Welcome once again to the Letterman Podcast. As always, I am Mike Chisholm. As always, I am excited to be here. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are viewing us on the uh, YouTubes or the Spotify's, um, you're just going to see that things are improving, uh, or, or, or in progress towards the, uh, goal of improvement. We are doing the studio here. We've done some upgrading, uh, right now you're getting a bit of a film noir kind of a deal, uh, as we behind the camera are, are, are remixing the studio and, and doing things up here. So, uh, hopefully, uh, you enjoy the technological improvements we here at the Letterman podcast are putting into place uh i am so <laughs> excited about I, this is a separate intro uh for today's show uh, i talked to joe grossman and joe grossman was my guy he just was uh i look at um and this is not a not a slight to anybody uh who was a behind the scenes person that ended up in front of the camera throughout all of the the saga of late night and the journey of late show um i really loved every single one of these staff members um and i think that's probably shown <laughs> for the ones that we've talked to already um but Joe was just my guy. And the reason he was my guy was because I had so much love for this franchise um, of Dave and company. By the time Joe showed up in 04, uh, I, I, you know, I make no bones about how much I loved what Dave and company evolved into. I loved the big show. Um, you know, late show was incredible. And, and the fact that, uh, in 04, I started seeing this awkward uh, <laughs> person who claimed to be a writer, um, you know, but didn't really say very much, had this deadpan down. And it's one of those people where it's like, is this really a is this really one of the behind the scenes people or is this an actor that they hired portraying one of the behind the scenes people, you know, but Joe is very, very much. It's, it's, it's evident uh, very quickly into our conversation, how funny he is uh, ridiculously funny. He was a Gen Xer like me. And I, I, I won't talk about that too much in the intro because we get into it right away, almost in part one here. But at the end of the day, I just, when I, when he showed up on the show, uh, I was delighted because it was like someone that I just finished playing Dungeons and Dragons with the night before ended up working uh, on the late show with David Letterman or late show with David Letterman the next day. It was literally like one of my buddies uh, was working for my favorite broadcasting uh, franchise ever. And, and, and um, you know, it's funny. I haven't been, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to knock on wood when I say this because I have no expectation of any of these people that I meet, but I have had not been disappointed with anybody uh, that I've met so far in this process. Um, it's just been so, everybody has such a similar uh, disposition in so many ways. And, and I got to tell you, I was a little nervous talking to Joe at first because he was my guy. He, he really was, you know, uh, that last night that we saw Dave a month before he retired, uh, he was part of the monologue and I was delighted by that. I was like, okay, you know what? You don't get a chance to go see the show live very often. Um, I hope some of my favorite things happen and, and Joe being there, you know, kind of right in front of me, I was in the front row right in front of me was, was really awesome. Um, I just, he had so many, so many things that I appreciated very, very much. That's apparent in this conversation too, because I mean, I, I, you know, I did talk to Don beforehand, uh, Don Giller talking about, you know, Joe appeared on the show 112 times, which is a lot of times over the, over the years. Um, 
it was really cool to be able to kind of fanboy over him uh, a little bit, especially because it just made him so uncomfortable. Um, I would even wager that, that, that Joe Grossman uh, is more uncomfortable being fanboyed over than David Letterman, which is, which is quite the statement. Uh, Just, I'm so grateful that I have him in my life now that I can I can just uh, send a message to. Uh, part one here talks about where Joe came from, uh, how he ended up being um, going to New York and ended up working for 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 Dave and company. And it ends. Part one ends uh, talking about the new job he just got six weeks ago, which is exciting. And part two next week will pick up right there where we left off and uh, and go from there. But I am extremely proud. Uh, to present this episode of the Letterman Podcast, Joe Grossman, Part One. Get going now. Um, okay, so here's the thing. I have uh, you were always one of my very favorites in the entire world, and I'll tell you why. Um, I'm a Gen Xer, and okay. you know where I fell in love with Dave and Company was as a child watching adults act in ways that I, as a child, really enjoyed. And I just kind of followed it up, and 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 as I matured uh, somewhat, um, you know, the, I, I got excited about the whole um, my sweet spot. Like my graduation year was when all the kerfuffle was happening, going from NBC to CBS and all of that. It's and I, I me, yeah. Be- yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I became an adult uh, watching that, but then watching Late Show, I was an adult, and then. One time, I don't even know if it was your first appearance, and I think your first appearance was in 04. Uh, You started working for Late Show when? Uh, April 5th, 2004. Uh, Okay, and I I think it was like, um, I asked Don's about it. Uh, The first one that we came up with was, uh, it was like a staff member of the week or something like that in the audience. Uh, Yeah, I I think it was, yeah, over that audience shot that we called the Act 5 in the the business. Sure. yeah, and, and you know, Alan would just do a silly announcement over the big sweeping shot of the audience. And uh, yeah, I, I think it was the Stangles who wrote that one, the Eric and Justin Stangle, the head writers who hired me. And it was just a silly announcement about the the employee of the night. I I, I don't remember what it was for, uh, but it was just congratulating me on like, I think eating something weird or something like that. <laughs> and I don't think it was even my name. I think it was just my photo with some other uh, name. But yeah, that was that was I think my I, I have a list somewhere that they made of me of all my appearances. I just have to dig it up. But um, well, that was, that yeah, was one hundred and twelve of them. Uh, oh, I didn't know it was that many. Wow, that uh, crazy! Like that's a that's a okay. huge number. And sure. I'll tell you why I got excited. I knew you were a writer there, um, and and that was that was great. All your bits were ones that I I just appreciated so much. Mm-hmm. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, you appeared to be similar to me. You appeared to be a Gen X kid. Sure. who had probably observed the same thing that I observed adults acting silly and you got to go work there. And I just would live yeah. vicariously through that. And the second thing is you're a Gen X kid. I'm a Gen X kid. You came out to enter Sandman and and those yeah. two things right there solidified me. Okay. Never mind the fact that your jokes and your deadpan were so good. I just thought, yeah. oh my God, there's a Gen Xer working for Dave and writing for him. I don't yeah. know if any of that is true. That's just what I thought in my twenties, when I was seeing you for the first time, uh, am I, am I on base like that? Is that, is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm, I was born in 75. So yeah, I'm a 76 kid. I am. Okay. So we're about the same there, you know, well, pretty, you know, a little later Gen X. Um, yeah, I was 28 when I joined, uh, the the Letterman staff. And at the time I was a very young writer. It was, there were only two of us who were about the same age, me and Jeremy Weiner. And then everyone else was a little bit older. Yep. You know, 30s, some into their 40s, and you know, Mulligan, who's uh, he's timeless, really. Legend. Um, so yeah, I, I was certainly younger, and, and I was one of the writers who uh had grown up watching Dave, whereas before it seemed like more of the writers had been people who certainly not. I, I mean, Dave aged as the years went on, and the writers kind of stayed the same age because they were yep. replaced. So it's like Dave started out with his peers. And they start out with people who are more like his younger brothers. Then eventually it turned out it became people who are like his young enough to be his kids. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, as for the Enter Sandman thing, uh, I, I cannot take <laughs> any credit at all for that. That was, uh, and, and, and forgive me if I get this wrong. I think that was Lee Ellenberg and Jeremy Weiner, but it's possible it was Tom Ruprecht who did that. I don't know which exactly. I think it was Lee and Jeremy. Okay. Uh, and, and and I guess that's a reference to, I hear that in, in sports games, uh, athletes like the, the the batters often come up with a you know, little song to play them on yep and i think they just thought that was a funny sort of homage to that to have me come out to this big 
high energy, aggressive, badass kind of song. And then I come out there with my Tommy Newsom energy. Yes. Just barely mumbling loud enough to be heard on the microphones. So. I, and fantastic. And enter Sandman. And then you come out and, and the monotone deadpan I, like yes yeah. the, so so it, it matches in all sorts of ways i just loved it so much um my magical night that you know i've talked about it a lot on the show here the my magical night there pictured behind us me and dave uh, sure. you came out that was a, that was a month before the retirement uh one of the first sketches of the evening so dave comes out he referenced our conversation i had that magical moment uh you know one of the lily pads that led to the show uh but in the monologue. So he comes out and references us, our exchange beforehand. But in that monologue, you and RJ came out okay. and you did a gag where it was, uh, it might've been your last time actually out there uh, doing one of these gags. Uh, you did a, <laughs> you did a highlight of, of, of your appearances on the show of your two appearances on the show. Yeah. Uh, do you remember that night or are they all a blur? It, it is kind of a blur. I, I, I remember that, that bit. Uh, I, 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 uh, I think yeah, our training came out to show a reel. It was it was probably like what three clips of us basically just walking out like we just had a minute yep. ago earlier, <laughs> and uh, it's it, it's the classic uh, Letterman device of let's do a little bit of build up to something that's going to be very disappointing and a waste of time. Absolutely, and uh, that's kind of what the show was all about. It was a it was a let's find we have an hour of time to kill every night. Let's just find vaguely interesting or disappointing ways to kill that time so absolutely um but yeah that was yeah our rj and i did a whole bunch of appearances in probably that last year or two yeah. um and and i'm happy to talk about every appearance i did and, and whatever things and, and I, I know you're very effusive in your praise of of of, of the writers and everyone else yeah. about the show um but i have to say i can't really take credit for much of any of that uh i don't think I, all of my appearances, I think, were written by other people. I never wrote myself into the show. Yep. Um, I wasn't like, you know, Lucy saying, hey, put me in the show, make me a star. No. Uh, so it's like <laughs> the, the other writers sensed from the beginning, oh, this is a person who's not very comfortable with attention. So therefore, what we have to do is give him the attention that will create some sort of a awkward magic. Um, but, you know, D Dave always liked having staffers on rather than yeah. actors playing characters so anytime you could turn a staffer into a character that was helpful and especially if it was someone who you could tell wasn't really entirely comfortable being on the air i mean that's how i mean rupert g he's a smart friendly guy but you can tell he's not exactly you know mr uh you know uh, he's not super telegenic and like you know let's let's, let's entertain america you know he's like yeah. he's trying trying to sell sandwiches and here comes the camera to the deli he'll, he'll, he'll be friendly but like you can tell he, he's not dying to be a star and no. you know biff and uh you know, Pat Farmer and, and going back to the old shows, you know, Al Mar or, uh, you know, Larry Bud Melman, you know, he was an yeah. actor, but just barely an actor. And, yeah. and and the thing that they all have in common is they kind of probably don't belong on camera. Right. Uh, they're not super uh, photogenic. They're not super charismatic. They don't have any discernible talent. So, of course, it's going to be fun for Dave to put them on there and 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 see if he can kind of milk some awkward uh, energy out of them. So I, I was very, very uh, pleased to be one of those people who the, the show latched onto in that way. I never expected it or or imagined it would happen. But the other writers were very kind enough to try experimenting with me like that. So, Well, <clears throat> it's fascinating uh, in many, many ways. And, and you've done a very, very good job of truncating two or three of my questions right there. And I love yeah. that because um, you know, the, the idea that the other writers would write things for you. Oh, let's use Joe in this, or oh, let's have a, let's have a, a Grossman bit over there. Um, and, and the, the unlikely blessings that that gives you, not only, you know, being on camera, we talked, we talked to Art Kelly about this as well. Um, you know, suddenly, you know, there's another union that you're having to get involved with and all yeah. of these things, you're an actor yeah. now. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and beautiful little benefits come from that. Um, sure. did you, did you, ever get a taste for performing because of those things? I mean, you came out and I, I, I imagine, uh, you know, if you would ever do stand up or something like that, I imagine like a Stephen Wright type type act where you could just, you know, deadpan or were you having a hard time? Did you have a hard time staying deadpan uh, throughout all of those appearances? Not usually. I mean, I, I, I practice those a lot, not so much to get the lines down as it is just to kind of make it autopilot. So I wouldn't have to think too much and I wouldn't have to worry about losing focus and accidentally smiling or laughing. Right. The, the, the hard part there was uh, 
you know, like there's only a few lines to memorize. Usually I didn't get a lot of dialogue or if it was, if I did have lines, they were actually in that little notebook I'd be flipping through or something. So <laughs> just read them instead of having cue cards. Um, and that was my real notebook, by the way, which I used to use to jot down ideas. The other writers thought, oh, let's put Joe's notebook into the bit. Uh, but the only thing I had to worry about with those those pieces in, in terms of breaking or something, it was Dave going off script. Yes. Because he would sometimes, either just because he didn't like to be too scripted or because he literally just wanted to screw with you. Not literally. He wanted to break you. Yes. Deliberately wanted to screw with you. And it's yep. like, okay. <laughs> and it, it, I can only remember one time that it happened. And it wasn't because Dave went off script, actually. I think it's just the line was just too ridiculously stupid that I, I, I couldn't handle it. Uh, and and I, 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 there were many times that I came out and drank urine for various reasons. It's not the thing I'm most proud of in life. It's also not the thing I'm least proud of in life. It's, it's probably somewhere in the lower to middle quarter. quarter. Uh -huh. um, but there was one where I, I think I was the, was it the survivalist ox, the wilderness expert who was sort of like yep. a Bear Grylls type. Uh, that was a Tom Ruprecht piece, I believe. <laughs> and uh and you know i was drinking urine and, and i guess the joke was i wasn't drinking urine because i needed it to survive because i was here in new york city i just seemed to enjoy it for whatever reason and one time <laughs> dave asked me oh by the way whose urine is that and the scripted answer that i had prepared that, that was written for me i'd rehearsed it to make sure i wouldn't laugh and i still laughed a little bit was herbie hancock's <laughs> And I think that was a reference to him having been on the show recently. I'm not even positive that's true. <laughs> but it was just such a random out of yep. the field answer that I, I did break a little bit on that one response, <laughs> saying that for some reason I was drinking the urine of beloved jazz keyboard uh, wizard, Herbie yeah. Hancock. So <laughs> um, I'm sorry. And, and, then, and then as to the other party question, I might have to- uh, The performing, uh, uh, the performing, the performing bug. Yeah. Um, I, I never had the desire to perform. I, I was, right. but I was always very secretly, quietly delighted that that I got to do it. It's like someone would write something for me, and yeah, outwardly I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I'll do one of these again if you want me to. But inside, it's like, oh, I get to be on Letterman. You know, I get to be on the show that I grew up watching. Oh. I get to be whatever someone in that long line of, you know, uh, Larry Bud Melman and and, yeah. and Biff and Rupe, just another one of Dave's random stooges. I can, yeah. I, I get to be one of those part of his company of uh, awkward uh, misfits who can just barely choke out a line well enough to, to warrant being on television. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in terms of actual performing, um, in the years before I, I was hired as a writer, I, I made a few half-hearted attempts to figure out my how to reconcile my interest in comedy with my uh, uh, colossal social anxiety. <laughs> and so it's like, well, I guess I kind of want to do comedy, but I don't want to be a comedian. And what do you do? And, and yep. I remember it, like I first started getting interested in comedy in, in the like mid eighties or so when I was 10, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was during the big stand up comedy boom. So it's like, well, I guess if you want to be funny professionally, you have to be a stand up comedian. And that always seemed distasteful to me not not that instead of comedy is distasteful but, you but have to who to really, you are and your disposition and, and yeah. your biology it didn't it didn't reconcile right and if you're going to yeah. be someone who wants to go up on stage and and basically say okay everyone quiet down because i'm funnier than you and i have things to say yeah. you really have to have the, the talent to back that up and i knew that wasn't me and it was when i started watching letterman in the late 80s probably and i would at the end of the show oh you know you probably heard other people say this then all these credits go by and oh look writers who are the 10 <laughs> or 12 names of people who i don't know who they are yeah but apparently they have generated this material and and that's a career option so if i can i like it, it's sort of the the, the coward's way of, of being in comedy it's like yeah i can write the jokes anonymously slide them under the door and then hide when they detonate and you know hurt someone else <laughs> and then i just cash the check and go home it's it's the perfect uh perfect career path for a comedy coward such as myself. A comedy um, coward. Yeah. So um, that became my sort of unspoken goal that I didn't tell anyone about uh, yep. in high school. And when I moved to New York in, in, in 98, and uh, I, I thought, well, maybe I should at least try performing a little bit just to, if nothing else, insinuate myself into comedy circles, maybe get to know other people who might have a similar interest and people who might help you later on in your career. So I, I did take classes at the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater for 
I took level one and half of level two before I decided, huh. Eh. It's, it's, I, I respect it. It's just not for me. The whole, I got to ask you though, in that thing. class, like, okay. So in that, that year, did you, uh, was any, anybody notable in that, uh, in those two classes of yours? Uh, yeah, I started, I, I took my first, I, I sort of dropped in and out of classes from 2000 to 2002, I think. Okay. And in my level one class, the introductory class that everyone has to take, there were maybe like eight, nine, 10 of us. Uh, and one of them was Ed Helms. Who no kidding has got onto a, a pretty good career. A bit of a, a bit of a career in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and of course, none of us knew. Oh, this guy's going to be a pretty big star someday. He's going to be in movies and on TV. And you know, he was just another kind of you know the, the, the class. A lot of the people who took these classes at the time, and this was sort of before improv became a, a thing that everyone did just for fun yes. and they'd do for corporate, uh, you know, morale building events and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It was really just kind of weird nerds who were trying to get. I, I don't know. Um, I, I think he was already doing stand-up and had been for some years. Right. Uh, but as far as I could tell, he was just another kind of weird guy who was dipping his toe into comedy and, and, and trying to see if it was something worth pursuing. Um, but I, wow. I, if you're going to ask if we had any kind of interactions or anything, I don't remember any really in particular. I'm sure we did some scenes together that no one would ever remember. And I can 100% guarantee you that he has no idea who I am. Sure. Um, but yeah, so, so that was it. Uh, so so I, I did improv for uh, like a year and a half. Yeah. And um, the thing I discovered was, well, one, I don't like having a lot of people watching me. Yeah. Um, I don't like being in front of a lot of people and having the attention on me. Um, and I don't like having to make stuff up on the spot. It's terrifying to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, so again, the idea like, of writing stuff and being prepared. I'm fine if I'm prepared. I'll, I'll go up in front of an audience and I'll go on, you know, going on Letterman. I was nervous, but not terrified. It's like, yep. I know my lines. I know what I got to do. I'm fine. Yep. Um, but, but acting, it's like, no, I, I can't do the acting and all oh, like conveying emotions. And I, I, I don't have any emotions as far as I can tell. Uh, so trying <laughs> to convey them just did not seem fruitful. And uh, yeah, so, so I did that. And then I also did uh, stand up comedy exactly one time. Yeah. Um, I was working as a, a, a writer and editor for a magazine in New York City called Time Out New York. Um, it was sort of like a local entertainment, yep. arts and entertainment and listings magazine. Yep. And for a few years, I kind of ran their comedy section and also their, their, their TV section for a little bit. And uh, someone had the idea of, oh, what if we send our kind of awkward uh, comedy writer, editor guy to go take a stand-up class and then write yep. about it. So, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So I, I took an eight or 10 week comedy class at some local, uh, I don't even know what kind of operation they were, uh, but it was fine. And, and, you know, basically it was just, uh, I, I didn't really learn anything or pay attention much to the class. It was, it, to me, it was just, okay, this is sort of my coming out as someone who in some way wants to do comedy. Yes. And this is me sort of com uh, committing to it. And uh, so it's going to be, I go to this class every week and someone will make sure that I wrote something that week and then they'll force me to go up on stage at the end of the, the, the thing. So after eight or 10 weeks or whatever, uh, we had a, a, a graduation show at Caroline's Comedy Club on Broadway. Very cool. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice place. It's, it's a real club. Um, yep. Performing at like four, no, it wasn't, it might've been an evening. No, I don't know if it was afternoon or evening, whatever, but it was just to a, an audience of friends and family. So it's like the okay. easiest, it's the, it's, it's, it's like absolute training wheels for any kind of performance. But uh, sure. I, I will say I did very well uh, being on a bill of complete amateurs who had no business doing comedy. Yep. Um, by that standard, they were, I, 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 I slaughtered them. But uh, <laughs> again, but, but you didn't get addicted to you did that feeling. Cause that's where, that moment is for many comics a yeah. pivotal moment where Absolutely. they're like, oh, I like this. I want to ride this lightning for the rest of my life. That didn't happen for you. No, because I also knew enough from having interviewed comedians for the magazine and stuff, just yeah. reading about comedy, that a lot of comedians have that experience where the first night you just absolutely kill. Yes. And then it's going to be five years before you have another good night again. It's like, yes, you know what? Let me go out on top. <laughs> um, I did. I did what I want to achieve. As far as I'm concerned, I'm George Carlin here. So you know, why, oh, there why, you go. Been yeah. there, done that. Time to move on to the right, next right. thing. Because you know, I've you're conquered stand up. I'm at. I'm one for one. No one has ever done <laughs> as well as I have in comedy. It was fine. And honestly, like, I, I did a five minute set that I, I still think back. Eh, that was that was a fairly good joke. And then laugh. It was. Oh God, I can't believe. Do I you said remember that. any of them? I do um, remember a few of them. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to. 
Yeah, no, no, right no. Now. <laughs> Is there any that you want to throw out right now? Anything, uh, any premise, any? Uh... Oh, gosh, probably not. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We'll move on. Uh, uh, yeah. Did you, okay, so so let's take it back. Um, you know, you're, okay, so you and I are very similar in the sense that we love this thing. I, uh, you know, I waited till I was 46 to, to express it in this way. It was very similar to, you know, um, Dave has talked about how he did stand up because it was a discipline he knew that he would have to master or or be a part of, but that wasn't his kind of end game. I've done stand up a few times this last couple of years as yeah. this awakening for me of being a, a, a broadcaster and especially wanting to help preserve uh, this body of work. I just have, I don't know why I have it in me, but I do. So I can understand what you're talking about going and maybe yeah. getting some of these skill sets under your belt. You're in high school, you're watching this. Uh, yeah. Where did you end up in pursuant of the, like, were you, were you in university and part of, uh, uh, you know, so many of your predecessors are, you know, I went to Harvard as part <laughs> of the lampoon or, 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 you know, things like that. Yeah. Where did you end up and how did, uh, was comedy a part of it right after high school or did it take a while longer? No, uh, yeah, I, I did not go to Harvard. I didn't even consider it as an option because uh, I've always been a very proud B student. <laughs> I really, I'm smart enough to do pretty well without trying too hard and not yes. one ounce smarter than that. So yes. I'm a slightly above average person and I'm very happy with that place. Sure. Um, so I, I went to a, a small liberal arts school in Portland, Oregon called Lewis and Clark College. Oh, which is Pacific known Northwest for guy. okay so i'm western canada you're a pacific northwest guy i'm western canada so. uh for college i was i, I grew up in maryland just outside okay. of washington dc okay. so sort of a suburban dc area gotcha. and then i went across the country for college uh huh. and i lived in portland for, for almost five years um yeah uh there wasn't really a, a huge comedy community uh certainly at that time I, I know today probably every campus has its own improv group and all that yeah. um at, at that time i you know i i, I worked for the radio station and and the uh, school newspaper basically any kind of media i could get involved with because i was yep. sort of you know trying to dabble on that like another way yep. of just sort of testing the waters of being creative in some semi-public format um yes. so i had a little radio show at midnight on saturdays when other people were having social lives what was the focus uh, of the show it was uh just me and my partner person just sitting there for two hours being idiots and Again, podcast thankfully. before a podcast, it sounds like. Yeah. Thankfully, yeah. no no tapes of this were ever made. Um, <laughs> so there's that in the newspaper. And, and you know, I, I tried dabbling. Oh, let's do a little funny thing here. And it, some of it was kind of cute. But um, again, I was still sort of pre-coming out in terms of being a, a, a comedy person. There was a deep sense of shame in wanting to do comedy. Uh, and, and it's not entirely founded, but something I've heard other people say. And it always just... For one thing, just being a very quiet, boring person, um, yeah. it's sort of embarrassing. Like, oh, oh, you think you want to be, oh, you think you're funny? You want to make a living out of it? You can barely even, you know, get a sentence out in front of people. Well, yeah, but I'm like, I can write pretty well. Yeah, I can't talk funny, but I can, I can write okay. So there, there, there was some embarrassment in that. And also- um, Was it imposter syndrome? Because that's something that yeah. I've had to deal with uh, for sure in doing this. Uh, yeah. Who do you think you are in, in in being the guy to host a Letterman podcast? Like, like- why you and and right. i really had to deal with that uh was that was that part of it as well is that shame absolutely that you're talking about absolutely yeah. but also a lot of it is imposter syndrome and and of course it's not imposter syndrome if you really are a fraud um but that's kind of how i felt at that time and um but also i am just knowing myself uh i could be very judgmental of watching other people and thinking oh that guy thinks he's funny and it, it's it's not my favorite quality in myself but i know it's in there so I just automatically kind of projected that onto others. And well, if I'm this much of a prick judging other people, then they're probably huge pricks in judging me too. It's like, yeah. Hold so. on though. Is that not an attribute of many comedy writers? Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, when you're in the room and you're mining and you're throwing out ideas, the, is this anything? Like you don't get, like Tommy talked about that on the show and, and a few of the other writers too. Like you don't get attached to anything because you throw it out there and some people might say, oh, that's terrible or whatever. You, yeah. You know, that's, you kind of all do that, don't you? You have to learn to do that. And that's always been very, like, I, I'm very, I am one of the worst writers you'll ever see in the room uh, in terms of pitching ideas to a group oh, of people. Interesting. Like, if you've got 10 writers, I, I I literally barely spoke my first probably two years I was at Letterman. Like most of our work at that time, like 90% of our work was done in writing. You know, sit there at your computer, you type your jokes down, you hand them in, and then you go type some more. Yeah. There were occasional meetings in the, in the writer's room where we would have to pitch things verbally, but very rarely, um, which 
you know, it's a double-edged sword. Like one, okay, it, it, it helped me in that I didn't have to do that, but also hurt me in that I didn't learn how to do that and develop a thicker skin. Um, and I, I got better after a couple of years and I built up a little bit of confidence and like, okay, I, I, I'm, I think I have permission to be here now. I'm not a total fraud. And you also see that, you know, everyone else here, they're also just kind of struggling through the day every day. You know, I mean, even the best writers, I mean, Steve Young is, is, is we all love Steve and look up to him. But you also know that some days he comes in and he's like, well, I, I don't know if I have anything, but uh, I had this thought on the, on the walk to work this morning and maybe we can make something out of this. And it's like, you know, you, you see that the people you admire uh, also have vulnerabilities there. And it was, a very, it was a very supportive room, which not every place I've heard about is. Um, I mean, not to name names, but you always hear about no, no. Saturday, Saturday Night Live, for example, as being a Shark very- tank. Yeah, it, it's a very competitive place. And, and yep. justifiably so, if you're a comedy writer, and you're there and you have whatever, 20, 25 writers and there are, I don't know, like eight or 10 slots open for sketches that week and, and only 20 shows per year and you're fighting for your contract renewal, of course, it's going to be very competitive. So yep. uh, there are places that, that I, I think maybe rely too much on, on, <laughs> on uh, creating a culture of writers being afraid. And right. for all of Dave's reputation as sort of a, a, a difficult or, or, or judgmental or whatever person, the, the, the writer's room, in my experience, and other people might have different experiences, but in my experience, it was a very supportive place where, I mean, the good thing is it's a, you're doing five, hour, five shows a week. You're doing 200 shows a year. Yep. There's not, it's not like there's a, 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 a lack of opportunities, you know? It's right. like SNL where you're doing whatever, 200 sketches a year and that's it. Like here, we're doing thousands and thousands of jokes every year. So it's like everyone, you know, we're all in this together. We're just trying to fill time. Yeah. And you know, no one is trying to snipe at you over your idea. Like, oh no, I'm going to kill his idea and get my idea in there. It's like, no, yeah. if someone else gets an idea, that's great. That means we don't have to stay late tonight, try to figure something out. So it, right. it, it was really supportive. The, the better you do, the better I do, the better we all do. We're all really in this together. Um, I could name one or two exceptions, but almost everyone there was like that. And it made it a, a very good place to learn how to be a writer and learn how to, uh, you know, try to put your ideas out there in front of other people. I, I want to come also, back to this. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Please. No, 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 but also, uh, and I think I heard this in one of the other, I, I've listened to your interviews with other writers. And again, thank you for talking. I'm to sorry about people. that. But anyway, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, Self-deprecation is hard to <laughs> turn off, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so many writers saying they came in, well, I only have half an idea today, but maybe if I bring it up in the meeting, someone else can, you know, the was alley oop it or whatever, you know, and yeah. come in with, with, with the, the thing that'll make it work. Well, I have an area that I think is very good, but I don't know how you make this into an actual comedy piece. And someone else will say, well, what if we present it in this way? And it's like, oh, we can do this together. And it really takes away some of that terror of coming in at 9 a.m. every day with a blank page. So. We're going to get back to uh, how you got from Portland to Letterman in a minute yeah. here, because I do I think that's fascinating. But at the end of the day, I also what you just said, I think, is also equally fascinating. I've talked to so many writers who ended up with partners, whether they came in as a writing yeah. team uh, like Stephen Carl at the very, very, very beginning, all the way to uh, you know, other people that just worked well together. Did you ever find that you gravitated towards somebody, you know, more than more than others? And did you ever do any team writing or was it mostly you and then you submitted all and you, you talk about this and then they help you punch it up and and there is where the uh camaraderie or the the, the collaboration was yeah uh the, the first few years that i was at the show we did things in a very solitary way uh you know we come in, in the morning you go to your office you sit, sit down and you start cracking out ideas um uh so i yeah you were all kind of flying solo back then yeah uh, now it's very stressful but again it, it is you know you it's throwing you into the deep end of the pool and, and, and you learn to swim. Yep. Um, after probably about three or four years that I'd been there, I think it was shortly after the writer's strike when we kind of decided to try to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. I think the strike sort of gave us a little bit of a bonding moment and in a way helped morale because it sort of <laughs> united us all against a common enemy. Yeah. Uh, so um, after that, I think is when we started coming in every morning and maybe working together a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and you could work, you could work on your own, you could work with other people. Um, but that opened up as an option. And I, I started working a lot uh, with uh, Lee Ellenberg and Jeremy Weiner, who were two other writers. Uh, Both uh, on Lee my B hit list of people to talk to. So hopefully yeah, we can make that Yeah, and very happen. good people to talk to if you can. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Lee, had, 
Lee had been there. He'd been a writer for maybe three or four years when I got there, but he'd also been at the show in other capacities for many years. Yeah. And Jeremy was hired as a writer, like just like a few weeks before I was. Okay. Um, but he okay. There was a bit of a turnover when you came in, right? There was. Yeah. Um, but he'd also been there in other capacities as an assistant and such. So he sort of spoke the language better than I did, but he was still a new writer. He understood the um, culture of the yeah. family. So um, again, after I'd been there for about four years, uh, I started kind of four or five years, maybe, maybe even later than that, actually. Uh, but I, I would kind of barge in on their little morning huddles, just the two of them to say, hey, um, can I kind of talk to you guys about some fractions of ideas and see if maybe you can help me with this? Um, and, and, and they were happy or they pretended to be happy to have me in there. And, uh, and also- <laughs> Was that know, hard, I, the, the colossal social anxiety that you had? The first few times you actually did that, was that difficult for you? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but again, by, by, by that point, I, I think we developed enough rapport that I trusted them and they trusted gotcha. me. And it's like, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't put me on TV if they didn't think I was a decent and funny person to have around. <laughs> right. They wouldn't do that to someone they hate. So they must like me a little bit. Okay. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it seemed pretty safe and secure. And they were always very, very generous with their time and their ideas. And again, I, they were, you know, I have to put modesty aside for a minute and say, you know, sometimes I did have a good idea that I could help them with. So, or, you know, they had a fraction of idea and it's like, I, I could figure out how to do it too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, later on, we started doing things more together, but there was still a lot of solitary work right up to the end. I mean, e even on the, the best day, you're, you're, you probably spent 80% of your day just alone in your office, cranking out top tens or, or, yeah. uh, uh, you know, know your current events or Chiron quizzes or, new books or, you know, all these yep. <laughs> refillable pieces I'd forgotten about. I bet, uh, I bet you writing that way and knowing that you're effective that way, it's cool that you're able to even recognize that and say that about yourself. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> knowing that, that, that you, when you had the page in front of you and you had time to revise things and not yeah. necessarily go off the cuff and, and, and get good at refining, finding the perfect word, that kind of a thing, which Dave, every production that Dave's ever done, the right word at the right place seems to be a commonality. Um, yeah. I bet you got a lot of top 10 jokes in. I did okay in the top 10. That was always, that was a, the least challenging part of the show for me. Uh, yes. It was pretty straightforward. It's, 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 you know, it, it really is a very elegant device comedically. Uh, 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 just, it, it's, a, it's a great joke delivery system. It's one setup with 10 punchlines. It's yep. so simple and effective. And, um, you know, you take a lot of swings on that, uh, yeah. you know, you have probably at any given moment, you might have seven or eight writers working on that. And each one writes 30, 40, 50 jokes. And so you have three to 400 jokes, maybe. I'm just guessing because I never assembled the list. Yeah. Um, but that's probably rough ballpark numbers. Uh, three to 400 jokes to get 10 jokes. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's one of the thing where, things where, where, where it's <laughs> low investment um, as long as you just have to crank out a lot. So I was pretty good at that. And even, I mean, day one, I was... I was okay at getting jokes on the top 10 list, even when it took me, you know, a year or two or sometimes even longer to, to figure out other parts of the show. Yeah. Uh, those kinds of things I was good at. That fun facts was, yep. was fairly easy for me. Not easy. I mean, nothing's easy, but, but low stress, anything where it's just, let's write a short joke about a specific thing. The things that I found challenging were let's come up with something to fill three minutes of time in the middle of the show. Sure. Oh, okay. There's no specific assignment there. It's just think of something funny. Like I, I can't do that. I wish I could. There are writers who are very good at that. I, I can sometimes, but it's not something I can just turn on. Or oh, let's let's come up with a new uh, Act Four for Alan. Like, ooh. and of course, Alan was great. Alan was probably the strongest pure performer on the show. Oh. In that, unlike all of us Stooges, he could really sell something. Whereas we're all just doing our deadpan thing, and he is fearless. Yes. So um, and versatile and like I mean oh my God what a performer Alan Coulter was uh, what a absolutely. what a hand you guys had there that you could just play anything almost and he could and he could do it yeah and and he was so great for that and I loved Bill Wendell but he was but he was a very different kind of character uh, yes. who who he was kind of low key and creepy in, in his own way uh, in terms <laughs> of his character not 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 his real life but his character yeah no 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 of, of you know you watch the old show and you'll see you know they would do this running gag of of you know after the show Bill Wendell uh, you know holds up Dave and Paul and steals their money and then 
you know, it's, yeah. it's a funny thing. Um, but but with Alan, it's like he could do anything. He could do the 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 big stuff. The he could you know songs and 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 he could do the creepy, sexy stuff. He could. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but for, there was a, a while, probably in the early two thousands, where they would have him act out old scenes from Fred McMurray movies because oh. I think Dave decided that that Alan, at least in black and white, bore some sort of resemblance to Fred McMurray. <laughs> You'd see him doing these old film noir things. It's like, he's really good at this. He's really um, good. Oh, that voice was just... Absolutely. The deli- oh, yeah. I, I love Alan. Alan Culture is one of the reasons why this show started is because I've been waiting for this show for the Letterman podcast that interviews all you guys forever. I've been yeah. I'm a podcast guy. I've been waiting for it. And, and it's funny, I, I befriended some of you guys and gals uh, behind the scenes a little bit, and it was great. But when Alan died, I looked at, yeah. like, I, I looked at Shecky and I said, what the, what the hell, man? Like, he would have been on this show that I'm doing here. He would have been on that show five yeah. times a year. He would have Absolutely. just loved it. Kind man, all of that. It's like, okay, it's if it doesn't happen, it's not going to happen. Let's make it happen. And and that's yeah. why Alan Coulter, I, he has such a place in my heart. Um, and, and, and let's just do a real quick plug. Giller's got, uh, uh, um, uh, an Alan Coulter tribute that is just beautiful. Um, it is so, so good and well done. And it shows all of the different versions of what Alan did on your yeah. guys' show uh, and all the, oh, just so many different things. The celebrity interview is one of my favorite yeah. things. And like, did you ever write any of this stuff for Alan? I know he had a few people that, that, that uh, he was kind of their sweet spot. Did you ever write any notable things for Alan that you can off the top yeah. of your head? I mean, we, we all wrote for everyone on the show. There was no one who's proprietary or anything. Um, Alan's things, like I, I always heard uh, that Alan's character as we knew it was more or less created by uh, Carter Bays and Craig Thomas who preceded okay. me by a few years, that they sort of invented the whole creepy Alan, weird pervert Alan kind of thing <laughs> that became uh, an endless source of amusement for all of us. Yes. Uh, and then when they left, I think Lee and Jeremy kind of picked up the mantle and really became the uh, the strongest writers for his bits. Like I, I, Lee uh, uh, was the one who came up with the Alan Coulter celebrity interview. Uh, that was his uh, format. And it was it was a great, great piece that, that we did so many times and always just killed. And it had the benefit of seeing the, his guest reacting to the awkwardness. There were a few times when I guess, I don't know if Lee was busy or if he wasn't there that day or something. A few times the Stengels asked me to write one of those. So yep. I, I, I wrote like maybe three or four of those which I was very happy to do, but I'm sure if you watch them, they come off as sort of like a weird off-brand version of it. Like it was okay. maybe made in a different country and translated into a language and then translated back, you know? <laughs> which it's is hilarious like, in itself, by the way. Yeah, so I, I, I did the uh, the RC Cola version of the Alan Coulter 70 review. <laughs> it, it tastes kind of like the real thing, but it's a little bit off. And I, I did a few, I thought they were okay, but I'm sure if you asked Lee, he would say, eh. <laughs> <laughs> he meant well, but mm, it's my bit. So I always felt a little bit guilty about that. Yeah, Lee's a great guy, lovely. I still work with him actually. Um, uh, but like I did one later on in this show. It was actually for it was it was uh, Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, uh, were both on the show that night. So I guess they decided, well, this is a great opportunity to do one of these celebrity interview things. And I don't know if Lee was busy or whatever, so they asked me to write it, and I, I did my best to sort of follow Lee's template and yep. try to do things that wouldn't, you know. <laughs> wouldn't do any disservice to what he'd created and uh I, I thought it went pretty well it ended up getting cut from the show i heard someone say it was a little bit too mean <laughs> so <laughs> to alan or alan was being too mean no 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 that that, that alan, alan might have been being too mean to the guests oh to, to the guests to okay Nero yeah, yeah, and hoffman yeah. like like I, I don't know um the 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 footage does exist out there online i believe yeah from rehearsal or something and and i i thought it was pretty good uh the the, the one line i remember you know because it's dave complaining i'm sorry it's alan complaining that, that 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 dave stole alan's thunder yeah um, alan spent weeks trying to book his guest for the celebrity interview and and who does dave have on tonight right before alan the same guest so yep. It's 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 Alan yelling at Dave for oh I've just watched you sucking up to these guys for twenty minutes oh look at this and the the, the one line I, I I wrote for that I thought I liked is you know talking about Dave sucking up to Dustin Hoffman it was, it was, it was you know oh it's so disgusting it, it, if I want to see a senior citizen jerk off Dustin Hoffman I'll I'll watch The Graduate so <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good line um, oh that is such a good line oh my god. Yeah, so so there was that, and, and and we also said some horrible things to De Niro. Oh, uh, it's so clever. I think oh, Alan so called good. him. I think he called De Niro Fonzie, 
Um, <laughs> so that was that was a lot of fun. But it, again, I I I have to confess that I, I think the tone was probably not quite uh, quite there, and, and and Lee would have modulated it much better than I would. But but yeah, it, well, it was. Fun. I like an RC cola float every now and then, anyway. So yeah. that sounds good. I want to I want to go back and make and connect Portland and University yeah. Radio Show Joe. Uh, to moving to New York, that uh, magazine that you wrote for, was that your first gig? And did you know, okay, screw it. Uh, I've seen people go and become interns at this show and, and I'm, I'm going to go and do the same thing. I'm going to go work for Dave. I'm going to, that's my Conan O'Brien famously, you know, he had two jobs, two, he had two places he wanted to work when he left college, David Letterman or Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And that was his list. Was that, was that you or was that sort of a, did you have a few more lily pads jump across before you realized I'm going to go work for pants? Uh, no, I mean, I, I graduated in, in 97 uh, yeah. and kind of lingered in Portland for a year, not knowing what to do and not being able to find work. And luckily, this uh, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time um, had always wanted to move to New York. And so she said, let's just go to New York. Come on. I want to go to New York. Let's go to New York for totally non-show business reasons. She just always loved New York. And she wanted to go to a, she wanted to study to be a teacher here. They have some very good teachers colleges. Yep. So it's like, um, okay, I guess. And, and if I do that, I guess I could try to weasel into this whole late night thing. So we moved here in 98 and um, oh my, my rough plan was, well, let me apply to the uh, NBC and CBS page programs. Cause I was just out of college. I was close enough. Um, and maybe I can somehow get it like an entry-level job eventually, like a receptionist or in the mailroom at either Letterman or Conan, because I loved Conan too. Like Conan, in my mind, had picked up so much of the energy that in some ways Dave had lost. I, I still loved Dave at CBS. It still felt like late night. It felt like a person took over the franchise, made it their yeah. own, but it was still late night at the time, right? Yeah. And, I and feel the exact same way. Yeah, He certainly took it in his own direction and yep. and, 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 and and rebuilt a lot of the... Uh, you know, David sort of torn down all the, the walls and made it all meta and, yeah. and Conan had like built those walls back up and reinforced them to create a very, very artificial, deliberately artificial setting. And, and that yes. worked great for him. Yes. And and so I really respected that and admired how well he did the impossible of making his own version of the same late night comedy experimental laboratory. And I, I yep. just love that. Yep. And that's unfortunately something that, that, that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but yeah, so I thought, well, if I can somehow you know, weasel my way into one of these jobs, that'd be great. So moved to New York, applied to both page programs, got rejected by both. Yeah, 9804 um, is when you started with with pants. So yeah, yeah. you know, there's there's six years of growth somewhere in there. So I kind of, you know, did some odd jobs and eventually I reapplied to the NBC page program just because it's like, well, let's see what happens. And somehow I got in, even though they really only like very outgoing extroverted people for some reason although that's actually what i've been told like that they really want people who can sell the the company on these tours and stuff like i i don't seem like the ideal tour guide but i i, I, I held my own um but yeah uh so i got in there it's like oh, this is it i'm here now what yeah um i'm in the building i'm allowed to be here i have a little id badge i can get into the studios i'm, I'm in conan's studio every day telling people about what the, happened in this place and yet i'm not really here so it's like I, I I would I never really got the courage to go up to like the Conan offices and see if I can talk to someone like, like I, I once made a half hour attempt to talk to someone in the talent department no 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 in the research department yeah to just sort of uh, maybe is there anything you can tell me about your job and how you got there and it did not go well and I, I I just felt like a nuisance anytime I tried to talk to anyone about these things so I basically spent a year not doing anything to advance my uh, non-existent career <laughs> and when that was done after a year they kick you out if you haven't found a real job so. Uh, I felt like a total failure. Um, Did you love was, working at Thirty Rock at that time? Like, was it was it Mystique? Uh, and then a much of that Mystique was okay. You know, you you kind of level up a little bit because it's not Mystique anymore. Or, uh, or or were you? Is that not you? No, it, it was it was it was a huge thrill to okay. just be in the building the first yeah. time, and then yeah. to be there as. I mean, not really an employee. I was I was an outsourced staffer to a, a temping agency, um, but still, I'm in there. I have I, I, I get the discount of the commissary, so you know it's something. Um, <laughs> but just the fact that you can make a commissary joke. I mean, how many times throughout the shows that we love growing up, but you hear people talking about the commissary and things like oh, that. Like I have to say, they have replaced the commissary and moved it to a different part of the building. It's a brand new, not brand new, but it's it's new from when I was there, and maybe like five years old or something. It sure. is amazing. I go there every day now, and it's just. Yeah, it's really good stuff. 
Okay, well, we're burying yeah. the lead a little bit. You go there every day. Joe Grossman, what the hell uh, are you talking about? You go there every uh, day. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I've been working for about a month now as, as, as a writer for this Tonight Show, which is uh, at Rockefeller Center. So um, they're in Studio 6B right across the hall from Studio 6A where Dave and Kona were all those years. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's very uh, exciting to be, you know, get off the elevator and you walk past and you see Studio 6A right there. Looks nothing like it did before. No. I believe the most recent long-term tenant of that studio was Megyn Kelly's Hour of the Today Show. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like, it, it's it. and before that it was Dr. Oz. Yeah. So it's like, okay, the, the magic is clearly gone, but yep. you, you still know that there are some really special ghosts wandering. You. All right, we're going to stop it right there. Joe's working for The Tonight Show. How great is that? I mean, oh man, you know, going from, you know, Late Show with David Letterman uh, and then to Samantha B, which we also talk a little bit about in part two. And then now, you know, that ends in 2015, uh, the, the the Late Show, and he's moved over and is working for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. I, I was delighted when I found that out. I, I didn't find out on air. My reaction there was when I was cheering for him, I was excited about that, um, was even more exuberant when he actually told me where his new job was. Uh, just what a thrill, the fact that he gets to, to go back. Um, and it's this... This, this Gen X thing, you know, where you saw Dave rise up and all this stuff and the stuff with the Tonight Show, the old Tonight Show and, and, and all that stuff. And then, but the evolution of things that happened, you got this Gen X guy that started with Late Show and then he ends up at the Tonight Show. I just, I love that very, very much. Uh, Joe, congratulations on that. I can't wait for part two, by the way. We're going to talk a lot about part two, uh, including uh, the little dust up with the Tonight Show uh, and Conan O'Brien. Uh, you know, when that, when that all happened, Joe was on staff, of course, with, uh, with a late show with, with David Letterman and had uh, a couple of my very favorite moments um, during that little saga as well. Uh, Joe, just incredible. As you can see, uh, I'm a, I'm a kid, a uh, delighted, delighted kid listening to him uh, being made to laugh by him. He's so funny. He's just such a funny guy. Uh, I just can't, Thank you enough. I'm never going to stop talking about how grateful I am uh, for this here, no matter how, uh, where it goes, how big it gets. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me. We're chronicling um, the greatest body of broadcasting work in history, that of David Letterman and company uh, here at the Letterman Podcast. Thank you very much for everybody who has supported. Thank you to Rupert G and the Hello Deli. Uh, go to hello-deli.com if you want to find a Late Show with David Letterman merchandise, Rupert merchandise, uh, or one heck of a sandwich. Um Thank you so much. Please like, please share, please subscribe. Please come and join us. Become part of the conversation in the Facebook group that we have, the Letterman Podcast. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. That's a, until we get to part two with Joe Grossman next week. Uh, that is another episode of the Letterman Podcast with Mike Chisholm. Coincidentally, I am Mike Chisholm. Thank you and good night. Overcoat and underpants.